Hello, and welcome to the Soundweavers podcast. Soundweavers explores the trials and tribulations of small ensemble musicianship through conversations with leading performers and composers. In today's cast chat, we'll discuss the origins, the process, and the importance of, and current issues with, the Grammys. We hope you enjoy. Lovely, wonderful, gentle folk. Welcome back to the Sound Weavers podcast. As always, I am your harping host, Dr. Rosanna Moore. And today, it's cast chat number three. So it means I have two co-hosts with me. Above me in my Zoom room, I have Dr. Blair Kerner. Below me in my Zoom room, I have Dr. Adam Paul Cordell. Hello, my loves. How are you this fine day? Really excited. Thanks. Thrilled to be here. Thanks, Rosie. So what are we talking about in this cast chat? Well, a really fun thing that we realized for this past um, cycle that we had is that three out of four of our guests have been awarded Grammys or nominated for Grammys. And so we figured it's also Grammy season. This episode is going to come out three days after the 2021 Grammy Award show. That was this past Sunday, March 14th. So we figured this was definitely a time to try and demystify what on earth are the Grammys? Are they worth it for us? And just how do you how do you Grammy? So without further ado, I'm going to pass you on to Blair, who's going to talk a bit more about the origins of how the Recording Academy and the Grammys came about. How do you Grammy? I like that. And that's exactly my question, because <laughs> after I keep hearing Pascal and Thurkos Bertashian talk about this, I was like, I realize I don't follow this, uh, whether for, you know, popular music or classical. And I was like, should I? So uh, being the good student that I am, I went and did a little bit of research to figure all of this out. So... The uh, Grammys is basically run by a U.S. organization called the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, also for short, Recording Arts. So they founded in the 1950s, and they had, all this was kind of conflicting information, their first Grammy Award in 1959 with people such as Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Kingston Trio, etc., so over the years, it has grown and expanded. It's obviously a music award ceremony, and it has uh, expanded its genres as genres have con- continued to be created and adjusted and you know developed within the American society. So right now, there is 25 fields of music. And then on top of that, there's some subsections, which is actually production and post-production work as well. So we're giving credit to the audio engineers who also help these musicians create these albums. And often that's what makes or breaks oh, an of album course. is do you have a good producer? Exactly. That's, that's an insanely important thing. So right now they have 75 awards each year. And I went and was, you know, searching through all the different awards to figure out how many of that would fall into like quote unquote classical jazz. And I counted 70 which included like best jazz vocal album, best improvisation jazz, best chamber music slash small ensemble, best opera recording, best uh, instrumental composition, and of course production and engineers on top of that. So lots of potential opportunity, which is great. You know, over the years, as I said, since they've adjusted, the most recent restructuring, so to speak, was in uh, 2011 when they did quite a few things. They um, decided not to compare solos versus groups uh, like and separate them they just combined them they removed gender specific 
uh, awards, as well as they combined three different what they would call regional roots musics together, which is Hawaiian, Native American, and Zdeco, which is the Creole Louisiana um, music. So they combined all of those into one pot, which we could potentially talk about later as well. So um, <laughs> by that, do you mean sort of American folk music? Uh, American, like what you- as folk as you can get as in traditional folk and, you know, the okay. stemming of the natives. With that, uh, you know, next steps would be, okay, how do you even get nominated? How does this process work? So we talked a little bit about that with Pascal and um, Third Coast Percussion. Originally, this was, you know, you would be submitted by companies and record companies or other different members. So it's an invite-based system. And the people who end up voting, the first round actually is kind of like a subclass group of individuals that come together and pick out who they would call the top five within a category. So then each one of these that I had listed before would have five nominations. Then once those five have been nominated, those within the academy that have particular memberships can then vote on their top pick. So they get to listen to these albums um, and decide which one they want to vote on. Interestingly enough, that's still a little complicated because based on a 2014 article by Billboard that I found, they had 21,000 members but only 12,000 were eligible to vote based on specific criteria of being a member. So, and even that was a little complicated. So even the voting system's a little flustered making, like how does that even work? So all I do know is that you do only have people vote within their particular expertise. Mm -hmm. So classical will be voting for classical, jazz will be voting for jazz, um, et cetera, so that it kind of sticks within each field. Interesting. Um, anything else that you found with the origins that she would like to add? I mean, I just wanted to talk about the levels of being a member, sort of just having a look on the Grammy website of, oh, you want to be involved? There's what, four different levels of just a general voter, a pro voter. I, <laughs> I don't have the list uh, to have, but I was like, really? And I know that you do have to pay money to be to be a part of the Academy as well. So that's already bringing in a level of privilege to even be able to be involved in the voting process. And that is just insane to me that like, not just for classical music, for the entirety of the Grammy Awards, that you would have to have a certain amount of money and therefore prestige to be deemed eligible to vote on other musicians and artists work like that's insane that that <laughs> seems like a corrupt system for to me especially when you then say there's 21,000 people but only 12,000 can vote that's that's suppressing the vote and that's not a good thing so between the barriers and there seems to be a lack of overall knowledge at least particularly in our field plus you know mm-hmm. potentially not a lot of popularization because there's a tv show but you know our areas are definitely not promoted oh, we're not allowed <laughs> to be on the tv show apparently we're not shiny enough the question then is why are the grammys important for classical and jazz and chamber musicians yeah so this is and this was something that i um kind of got nerdy about i uh i got to thinking i was like <laughs> i know right the immediately my my response was to jump to jstor um <laughs> for those of our listeners who don't know what jstor is do you mind uh jstor is it's essentially a, an article database a nerdy journal <laughs> that is subscribed to by institutions so you know those of us who live in academia yes but the thing that i found um 
Yeah. On JSTOR, that was particularly interesting was this article that was written by Anand and Watson, uh, and the title was Tournament Rituals in the Evolution of Fields, uh, which I will link to in our show notes. The thing that was particularly interesting about this is that they, they went back and examined the Grammys from the perspective of what is called a tournament ritual, which is, I mean, just a fancy way of saying a, a tournament, a competition, right? What they were looking at was the fact that um, tournament rituals in any field are developed specifically to promote artists, so to distribute prestige and to collect attention to the artists, to to provide an opportunity for collaborators to find one another, right? And the, the point of these types of events are essentially to build coalitions among artists, and in this particular case with the Grammys, to connect producers and engineers to musicians and to composers and, you know, just anyone who is operating within the um, overall field of music. The thing that um, that I was looking at was, you know, why do we do these things, right? And one of the things that is, I think, abundantly clear is that winners gain from the exposure that they get from this type of a win. They uh, gain commercial success, right? I will be the first to admit that when I've heard that someone has won the Grammys or whenever there's been some sort of major dispute, uh, I will actually go and buy the album just so that I can see what it is that they're doing with it, right? In a lot of ways, the experience of winning a Grammy or at least even being at the Grammys is uh um, I don't want to say notoriety, but an, an opportunity. Honor. To, yeah, an honor. Yes. <laughs> I, I will say that you don't get any money for winning this, but you do get a beautiful gramophone shaped paperweight. Yeah. Yeah. You get right. paperweight from it. And this has been really interesting. I'm so sorry to cut in, Adam. But again, looking at one of the articles that I looked at was going, is this even worth it for classical musicians? As Blair mentioned, we're not even televised. Like, we're not fancy enough to be in the televised version of this. So does anyone care? But apparently the Kronos Quartet, when they won a number of years ago, they did see a modest bump in sales. But you're not going to see the same bump as, say, Beyonce would if she won something, or Adele, or any of these uh, popular musicians that are everyday names for pretty much everyone in America or the Western world in general. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, in, to that point, so, you know, is this worth it for classical music? The This particular uh, white paper, they outlined two different reasons why these tournament rituals are useful. The first one being, I think, a, a positive spin on it, which is just the idea of solidarity, right? Mm -hmm. To be involved in a process like this is to establish solidarity and a sense of, of community among the artists and the other stakeholders in the field, right? It puts people in touch with one another in a way that allows them to see what everyone else is doing and provides a vision for how the field might be evolving. Uh, so I, I think that that's a particularly useful aspect to something like the Grammys. And it's it's also something that we see in just instrumental competitions, mm -hmm. right? I mean, when I go to the Primrose International Viola Competition, there's a very clear sense of what art you know, of what the highest artistry looks like yeah. for violists, right? Um, and mm -hmm. I think that the Grammys provide an opportunity for us to think of and explore 
um, recordings in the same way. Yeah, I, right? I actually talking at the competitions, I think that's that's a very interesting parallel of what repertoire is picked for competitions versus what you end up seeing on the Grammy ballot. I mean, you're talking about the Primrose competition. That's a huge viola competition for anyone who doesn't know. The equivalent in the harp world is the Israel International Competition. Interestingly, looking at their repertoire this year, there is not a single composer who is not white or male. Most of them are dead. And that that's kind of something I've seen with reading some of the stuff about the Grammys. Most of the music being performed is by dead white composers. And that's okay. Like everyone loves their Beethoven. In the classical world, let's specify that. <laughs> that that's what makes it <laughs> such a dramatic thing, right? Because you scroll yeah. through with a list of people in almost every other field. Um, and I'm yeah. sure there's going to be others too that maybe have a history in particular parts of the United States that might not be as oh, diverse. Yeah. But I mean, you scroll through particularly anything that has to do with large ensembles, I would say. You scroll through the best um, orchestral, the best opera, and even the best choral. And, you know, because the conductors, as you mentioned in, in an early conversation, get the Grammy. And then the ensemble mm. gets the Grammy. So the conductor gets specific yeah. call out. They put the picture in their name and you just keep scrolling. And it's the same type of person you can expect, which is yeah. an older white gentleman. And a lot of them are European names. They're not even US based. <laughs> right. I'm not sure if we had this in the conversation yet, but yes, if there is an ensemble of, uh, is it 24 people? 24, not including the conductor. <laughs> so if you have this ensemble, the conductor, who, yes, granted that conductors are really important. I know we're a chamber music podcast, but we all play orchestral music. Orchestral music is very important uh, to our realm of art making. The conductor gets a separate Grammy and then it's like the end of Mean Girls. Do you want us to break up the gramophone and go, you get a Grammy, you get a Grammy, you get a Grammy. It's The rest is shared among the ensemble and this is no shade to conductors. They work so hard and they bring everyone mm -hmm. together, but... Why do they get an extra award? No, I'm sorry. I want my own. Thank you very much for being second harpist to the back of it. Well, and I think so that in a, a lot of ways, this discussion also brings us to the other idea um, presented in this paper by Anand and Watson about the purpose of these rituals, which is mm -hmm. uh, what they term an agonistic uh, pr approach, which is basically a fancy way of saying politics, mm -hmm. right? When we think about, you know, the whole idea of these rituals, they provide an opportunity for emerging artists to struggle to assert the value of what it is that they're contributing, which is, I think, a, a great opportunity. But it also provides a way for established artists to try to maintain their influence on the field, which gets into this essential issue of the gatekeeping function mm. that an ex experience like the Grammys turns into. It is a little bit of an old boys club. And... The thing is, you are seeing this with other awards. You're seeing this with the Oscars as well. Well, and so, and, and this is one of the things that I think a lot of individuals are trying to grapple with right now about what the Grammys offers and, and how the Grammys can be different um, while providing what is actually a useful resource for various disciplines and the overall field of music. But at the same time, mm -hmm. it needs to be much more uh, equitable mm -hmm. and much more transparent, much more um, accessible to the music industry writ large. I mean, the fact that we had to do so much, so much research to try and work out how this works is kind of 
tantamount to maybe you need to simplify your systems. Grammys, if you ever listen to this podcast, make this easier for people to understand because it's a really complicated way of going about things. You have to um, solicit people for for your Mm -hmm. considerations before you're even nominated. And that is just insane to me. A lot of this is just, it seems like going around in circles for a lot of the same people to to them be nominated. Well, it's because it's who you know, right? So, you know, and a lot of it is that that friendship base, which is like what, you know, I've been saying is once this Grammy thing has been added to you. Great, you're a part of that club. You can collaborate with other people, but getting that and foot you can in help the your door. friends as well, which is right. great. But you're getting that foot in the door, so like it's perpetuating the sameness necessarily. So if one of our groups that is you know a lovely group that has been nominated is in there, how did they pick which group they're going to be nominated? Well, it's probably going to be someone that they worked with. It's probably going to be someone that they were friends with. It's not going to be this random person that they just found, you know, by purchasing a CD and going, wow, I think I should nominate them. So it is kind of like this ever-growing network of people who know each other. Right. Well, and, and the essential issue with networks in general is that systemic racism and systemic sexism is such that most institutions, if not all, are affected by them, right? And so, you know, and where do networks come from? They come from institutions. So, you know, if you go to a school where, let's say that the black population of the student body at a particular institution is two out of the entire class, Mm -hmm. the the network building that would allow for uh, a more equitable access to something like the Grammys is is lost, right? Because where do we, I mean, we've talked in episode after episode with everyone about how they made all of their connections during school. And we talked about that too, and turning around, and this is where the expanding that mm-hmm. network to all mm-hmm. types, right? So look at the people you're not interacting with. Who are the jazz mm-hmm. people? Who are the organists? <laughs> Who are sometimes the vocalists that you're <laughs> never interacting organist. with, right? I know, but seriously, I mean, there's some great chamber pieces for, you know, bassoon and organ. I only know that because my roommate was an organist. So like, yeah, yeah. you know, think about these individuals that like you're not even tapping into within your own network system that already exists because the chances of you finding more diversity, whether that be through, you know, training, whether that be through insight, that be back whether that be race, whatever that might be, you're just opening up your bubble a little bit more. And that mindfulness, you start it young in school, mm-hmm. means you can continue doing it in your professional world and continue Absolutely. growing that network in a way that's beyond just what you're kind of accustomed to. Yeah. And on that note, one of the things that I think is really powerful, in fact, about this year's slate of um, nominees for Best Chamber Music or Small Ensemble Performance um, uh, four of the five of them include artists or composers of color, which I think, which is fantastic, even though, you know, even though we still have a long way to go as the field of music broadly, it's inspiring to see that at least we're starting to get more of this multi race, multi gender, multi ethnic experience with the nominees that are appearing in these specific Mm -hmm. categories. I think something that is going to be very interesting is to have a look at what the rosters say in five years time, in 10 years time, because I think that in society has been a reaction of, oh, yes, we need to make sure we include all this diversity this year. I hope that this is setting up. No, you need to have this all the time, not just because this is the thought of the moment. This is something Mm. that needs to change fundamentally in who has access and who is releasing this music and who is voting all of the um, processes that go towards these sort of 
award shows and just music in general. That's that's part of the thing we've been talking to with all our guests is finding more equity within our art form. And so looking at this in five years or 10 years time will be important. So Rosie, I know that uh, your experience with the Rochester Philharmonic has led to a Grammy win for that ensemble. Can you talk a little bit about your experience and and your um, fusion? Your understanding of the Recording <laughs> Academy. <laughs> this is this is a very odd sort of tenuous link because I am not on the CD. Uh, that won the Grammy last year. So we won with the Higdon Harp Concerto, which was performed by Yolanda Condonassis. It's a fantastic piece. I obviously love that it's a harp concerto by a female composer that won. And the the category we won in was best uh, classical, contemporary classical piece, which is wonderful that A, it's a harp piece, B, it's concerto, C, it's by a female composer. Great, all of the things take the boxes. We had some really interesting conversations uh, in orchestra rehearsals, I think running up to the nomination process after we'd got past the for your consideration. There was a good couple of minutes before the rehearsal where our, our maestro would stare would say, okay, who of you is part of the Recording Academy? We'd love to get this piece to be nominated for things. Do you have friends in the Academy? make sure you sign up for it. And I, I don't know if Ward had, had won an award before as well. Ward had won an award. That sounds fun. Um, but I, it's something that he mentioned in the rehearsal. And some of the older members of the orchestra had already recorded a CD before, so they had access to being nominated. But it was left at that. We got on with the rehearsal. And that was fine. Later in the day, our... Um, I think it was our vice president of artistic administration, Eric Gaston, sent us an email saying, hey, if anyone wants to join the academy, send me a message, but you only have a few days to do this because it was in the run up to their deadline, which is March 1st every year. He then emailed us about half an hour later going, oh, um, this is more complicated than I thought it was. So even a a well-established orchestra it's uh, no, we're not, we're not from a massive city like Chicago or New York or LA, but we're a good orchestra. We'd been nominated for this. It was still really difficult to work out who was able to join this and who wasn't. I didn't join because I didn't feel comfortable doing so because I was, even though the orchestra is on the album, I am a tenured member of it. I did not perform on that disc. So I don't think I should <laughs> get to vote on things for that, but it did also bring up the idea of, oh, we're, we're all joining to vote mm-hmm, for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that, that seems a little insidious and a little odd. It just sort of adds into, the, to me, that seems a little problematic. But also, it's good to support yourselves and support your colleagues and support your friends. So for me, I think this means we need to talk about how do we how do we solve a problem like the Grammys? <laughs> and adding on top of that, nice. I love that segue. And adding on top of that, because this is the category best, best contemporary classical composition. Great, that's a full orchestra mm-hmm. that could potentially, through links, mm-hmm. sign up and vote versus like a chamber ensemble or maybe even like a duo or trio or something if it was a solo piece. So like even the weight that the orchestra potentially could put in to all vote upon themselves is an interesting mm-hmm. dynamic right there too. Oh, absolutely. Because I I think 
Canada's version of the Grammys is called the Juno Awards. And I think they run slightly differently. The main reason I know about it is um, Angela Schwarzkopf, wonderful harpist, just won mm. with her solo album this past year, which is, that's incredible. But I think there's mm. a different way of voting than what the Grammys offers. So that that would be an interesting thing to to look into at some point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because so some of the solutions that uh, have come about have actually come about because of some grassroots organizations mm-hmm. and grassroots movements outside of <laughs> Always the, the best. Grammy process. And um, one of those is uh, affectionately called the NAMIs. Uh, and, <laughs> um, and this particular award is, is or, well, it's a series of awards, but this uh, organization, this award show, is sponsored by the Native American um, Music Awards, uh, which was created in 1998. Uh, And like I said, it was a grassroots effort that was founded specifically for Native American people and youth from the four directions. So the thing that's interesting about this particular approach is that um, this organization decided that they wanted to promote and support Native American music because they didn't see uh, the ability to be able to do that through the structures that existed. And um, this uh, award show is hosted annually by different tribes throughout the nation. And I should say it's a North American, not just a, a United mm. States specific uh, organization. Mm-hmm. But the awards that they grant are in different categories. And fascinatingly, um, there are popular mm-hmm. genres. So it's you know it does include awards for R&B, for rap, hip hop, blues, Um, as well as the historical and traditional um, experience, such as Native American flute Mm -hmm. music as a category. Um, And then what's also interesting is that they also include a separate award called the Native Heart, and it's a non-Native category for mainstream artists who cross over with Native themes. So the Indigo Girls Mm. have won this, Neil Young has won this. And so it's interesting to see how they've built an entire organization to address the problem that they were not getting the recognition that they wanted Mm. to see from the Grammys. What's really cool about this is that two years after the inception in 2000, the Grammys uh, created a whole category Mm -hmm. for Native American music. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to see how by uh, striking out and doing something that was community building within the Native American intertribal experience, how that was able to lead to... I don't know if I would call it mainstreaming because it's still very Native American, the award through the Grammys, but um, but the idea, at least, that this this absence mm-hmm. needs to be addressed and the fact that the Grammys did it. It's creating a route to to be more accessible to people. And that's that's right. what this should all be mm-hmm. about. Right. And similarly, there's the Latin National Academy, oh, sorry, the Latin Academy, there we go, of Recording Artists and Sciences, which specifically focuses on um, works that have Spanish and um, uh, dialects language in, in it, which is uh, and yet another system that's helping to develop and um, support. But then the question is, who's who's the lead on that, right? And and where, where the problems are, because we're identifying both the Grammy issues of just the voting and, you know, originally starting off as an all boys club and what they consider certain musics and not that that's complicated in itself. And then there's the field, right? Which, you know, we had mentioned earlier, which is the different fields. So for classical jazz field, there's another issue that just like an added layer mm-hmm. on top of it. Right. So it's interesting trying to think about, okay, do they, should they speak to each other or should they be doing the things, you know, separately? So like, great, the Grammys listened and added some categories based on an existing, you know, new group that was developed. Cool. 
Um, how do, what does that mean for other groups that maybe don't have traditional backgrounds or maybe already are doing a lot better, like, you know, different fields of um, music that are currently in the Grammys have a lot more diversity than our own particular mm -hmm. area, which, you know, so like then it's becoming, okay, well, then the Grammys can just point over here and be like, yeah, but just go look at it over all these organizations that <laughs> have diversity. Obviously, there isn't any barriers or stuff like that. And then it's like, well, there still are barriers, but, you know maybe is, is it just the Grammys? Is it a combination of the Grammys and the field? Like how do you even tackle a problem like the Grammys slash right. the field? <laughs> I, and I think that's something that would be what we have just focused on looking at the Grammys for, for this session, but we could have looked at some of the other award shows around the world. As I say, the Juno Awards up in Canada are a major one. In the UK, we have the Brit Awards and we also have the classical Brit Awards and they're, they're mm. under the same banner, but it is very specifically the classical Brit Awards. Yeah, I think one of the essential issues too with all of this is, I mean, uh, just to return what, to what we were talking about before is in each of these different industries, right? If we view classical music as its own industry, um, each industry is reliant on different modes of connection and network building, right? And mm -hmm. classical music, because of the fact that we have music degrees that are built within the Western classical system, we have degrees yeah. that are jazz-based, we have um, very specific ideas, composition, exactly. That's where those networks come from and where they're built, mm -hmm. right? So in a lot of ways, the problem with the Grammys is also the problem with institutions, with educational mm -hmm. institutions. I, Adam, I do agree that fixing this starts with education rather than fixing the award <laughs> ceremony, because it's surely got to go from the beginning rather than trying to retroactively And fix certainly it. everything, I mean, I think in a lot of ways we have to address it from all different angles mm -hmm. and in all different spaces, mm -hmm. right? But I think it's interesting that this is, a, a, I don't know that I would say that it's unique to classical music or to contemporary composition. Certainly, it would be interesting to investigate how some of these other genres, for example, R&B, what builds those networks? Where, are the, where do those networks come from? Mm -hmm. And is it possible for us to recreate and to think of new network building possibilities for classical musicians? I think that that's something certainly that, that we as an industry could be doing a little bit more in terms of, of strategizing uh, about ways to solve this problem. Agreed. Agreed. With that, I think we can wrap this up. This has been a really enlightening conversation for me. It's been really fun actually doing all of the research for this. And again, learning how to Grammy, how to solve a problem like the Grammys. What are the Laras? What are the, what are all these other award shows that come out of this? And I do implore you all to have a little look into the system. If you are a performer or a student, maybe look at getting involved in the process for the Grammys, because this is something that we need more people to be involved so that we can help change this going forward. So this episode is coming out three days after the Grammy Award show and one of our recent guests, the incredible and wonderful Third Coast Percussion, are once again nominated. This is their third nomination. They did win one a few years ago and this is an album that they did in collaboration with Devonte Hines. So we hope that this is a celebratory thing but just to be nominated is such a huge deal in any case. So please go and listen to that album and all of the Grammy-nominated albums. Without further ado, 
We'll see you in a couple of weeks.